0: All right, let's get into the Word of God for today. Let's go to John chapter 4, verses 43 through 54. And today we're looking at John's Gospel number 9. We are in number 9 of about 40 sermons that we're going to be doing total in John's Gospel. We're going through this verse by verse and uh, really studying the ministry of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus. A couple things here as we look in this passage Uh, Today, and the title of the message is Jesus Heals an Official's Son. This is the second miracle, the second sign that He did. Um, You know, it's always good to listen to a sermon, and I always encourage you, take notes, because sometimes there's things that stand out to you that throughout the week you're meditating on, thinking about, and God might be showing up in your life, but you might miss it because you didn't take notes and you didn't write some things down. So I invite you, go ahead and take some notes today, and we're going to be looking at this second miracle. We're going to be looking at Jesus healing the son of an official, of a royal official, a very important man, affluent man, very rich man, probably didn't need anything, but he had one thing that no one could give him, and that was the healing of his son. So let's go there to John chapter 4. We'll go to verses 43 through 46, and we'll get right to work. This is what it says, verse 43. After two days, Jesus left there for Galilee. Let's read all together verse 44. Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When they entered Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him because they had seen everything he did in Jerusalem during the festival, for they also had gone to the festival. Altogether, he went again to Cana of Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. We'll pause there. Father God, thank you for your word. We ask, Lord, that now as we open up the scriptures and worship you through our understanding, worship you through our reading of the word, We might see today, Lord, your power on display, your mercy on display, your love on display. Lord, thank you for the works that you did to show us who you are, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone today struggling with this particular issue of disease, of sickness, that, Lord, you would have mercy on them as well. And you would grant healing according to your will. We put all of our trust in you. We know that you're still doing miracles today. And we pray that Uh, you would comfort us until we see you face to face. We ask you all of this in Jesus' good name. Amen. So the first thing we're looking at here is faithless people. And if you remember what happened a few weeks ago, we've been seeing the life of Jesus. um, Several titles that they gave Jesus. And I'm going to ask you to kind of help me remember what some of those are. If you have your notes, maybe you can flip back. But um, in John chapter 1, we saw 10 titles that were given to Jesus to describe his person, who he is, what he does. Do you remember any of those titles of the 10 that we talked about? The Word, the Logos. That's what the word Logos means, the Word. What else? Truth, what else? The Life, the Creator. What else? The Son, the Lamb of God, right? Who takes away the sins of the world. We saw John the Baptist, Jesus' relative, cousin, prophet, preacher, saying, this is the Savior. Follow Him. We saw Jesus now... Gaining disciples, followers. And my prayer is that all of you would become disciples and followers of Jesus. We saw Jesus going into the temple. One of our favorite scenes in the Bible. And What did he do there? Do you remember? You can just shout it out. He cleaned up house, literally. He kicked people out. He flipped over tables. He uh, said, this is not what worship is supposed to be. Not about money. Not about getting rich off of God's name. It's about worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Nice little recap there. And we saw Jesus baptizing people. His disciples were close to where John was. So there was a little bit of a dispute there. Who should we be following? And this is where we find ourselves today. Jesus ultimately decides, after two days, going through Samaria, He preached to this nation of unbelievers. He goes to a place called Galilee. And we see a couple things here. And this is for your note takers, one, two, and three. We see Jesus returning to the mission. Last week, we saw Jesus going to the Samaritan woman, woman who was not of God's people, did not go to church, did not worship God. He goes to her and he saves her. He has mercy on her. So you would think after her and then the rest of the city gets saved, you would think, oh, Jesus is going to stay in that city, plant a church and do a big ministry. He doesn't do that. Jesus returns to the mission because he knows there's more people he needs to reach. There's a lot of work to be done elsewhere. Let's take that and run with it as a church. We're growing. Look around. There's people here that you didn't know a year ago. And praise God for that. But we don't want to get stuck in Brownsville, Texas. We want to run with it. Now that we got literally four wheels on the way, uh, 15 seats, we want to go out there, we want to go reach a lot of people in the surrounding cities around Brownsville. Tell the gospel to a lot of different people, even if they don't come to church here at Logos. It's not the point. We want to have a faith community, a faith family, but we're not adamant about you must come to Uh, Logos in Brownsville, Texas We want them to find Jesus And wherever God takes them That's where they need to be So Jesus here returns to the mission He goes from Samaria to Galilee And look at verse 45 there in your Bible It says when they entered Galilee The Galileans welcomed him Because they had seen everything he did in Jerusalem When he flipped the tables He not only did that He started doing some miracles And some teaching in the temple A lot of people saw that So the second thing we see here is Jesus' reputation among the Jews. All of us have a reputation. Some of you have a good reputation. They know that you're someone who cares for people, is very generous. Some of us in the past, we've had bad reputation. Anger, temper, lies. What is your reputation? How do people know you? Jesus' reputation followed Him. Before He even came into a town, people were already talking. There's this miracle worker coming to our city. We want to go see what he's doing. And Jesus had this reputation among the Jews, not because they wanted to believe in him as God and Savior, but because they wanted the stuff that he could give them. May we never be people who seeks God only for the things he gives us, but for who he is himself. Number three, we see this, Jesus' rejection by his own people. We see Jesus being rejected by his own people. It says there that he went to Galilee. That was where he grew up his hometown. And they were waiting for him with open arms. Yes, Jesus, come here. And we see there in verse 45, it says, they had also gone to the festival, 46, and he went again to Cana of Galilee. If you've been paying attention, what happened a few weeks ago in Cana of Galilee? You can just shout it out. He turned water into wine. The first miracle was done in this little city, little village, Cana of Galilee. And what city do we compare it to here in Texas? Olmito, right? <laughs> we use that illustration. He went to a little town called Olmito to do his first miracle. Jesus returns back to that area, Cana of Galilee. Now let's continue here with something we can learn. These people rejected the Lord. Many of us lived for years rejecting the Lord. It took a while for God to finally get our hearts. But let's read what the Bible says about those who reject the Lord. What does the Bible have to say about people who reject God? Well, In the Old Testament, in Isaiah, and I'm going to put it up here on the screen for you, Isaiah 1 says this, Listen, heavens, and pay attention, earth, for the Lord has spoken. This is what God says. I have raised children, and I brought them up, but what does it say? They have rebelled against me. God says, I brought out Israel, and they've rebelled against me. Three, the ox knows its owner, and the donkey knows its master's feeding trough. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. What does God say there? Hasta el burro sabe quien es su jefe. su Even the donkey knows who his master is. I have a little dog, a little rat of a dog like this. <laughs> I'm a dog person. Imagine how I treat cats. <laughs> um, Sandy, that's her name. No particular reason, we just like the name. And Sandy knows who to listen to. You who have been to my house, you know what that's like. She'll get on the couch. My wife says, Sandy, bájate. She looks at her like, who are you talking to? (laughs) I go like this. Get down. The dog gets down. The dog knows its master. The Lord says, even animals know who their boss is, who their master is, but my people don't know who is their father, who is their master, who is over them. O sinful nation, says the Lord, People weighed down with iniquity, you brood of evildoers, depraved children. Read this little part with me. It's really sad. Read this with me. They have abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned their back on Him. This is how God feels towards those who reject Him. Like they have turned their back on Him, although they should know who He is. Let's drive the case a little further. Let's go to Matthew. And you can write this down on your notes and read it later, but this is what it says. This is Jesus looking at the city of Jerusalem, God's house, supposedly, the temple was there. And look at what he says. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. This is one of the most tender verses in the Bible. Look what he says. How often I wanted to gather your children together like a hen, like a chicken, gathers her baby chicks under her wings. Right now... Um, Shakira and your baby, you guys are going through a phase where she just loves chickens, right? Little baby chicks. They're tender, they're little babies. And this is what God says. I wish, like a chicken gathers her little chicks under her wings, I wish I could gather you to me. But look at what it says. What does it say? You were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. God's heart breaks when his people reject him. And we see Jesus going into Cana of Galilee. They should have known better. They saw the miracles that he did. They saw the water into wine miracle and they still didn't believe. How often will God need to do miracles in your life for you to believe in him? And I preach this to myself. I've had seasons of doubt myself where I struggle. God, are you going to provide? I'm a husband. I want to provide for my family. And I forget that it doesn't depend on me. It depends on Him. We reject Him with our thoughts, with our actions. And to finish this point here, look at what the Lord says in Revelation 21. Just write this down for your notes later. And this is what it says. The one who conquers at the end of time will inherit these things. I will be his God. He will be my son. But the cowards, the faithless, I would underline that, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. This is the second death. He says, those who reject me will themselves be sent to hell because of their own sins. Those who are faithless. These people were faithless. And we'll see how in a second. Let's go back to John chapter 4, 46 through 50. This is what it says. Let's talk about words and miracles. It says, There was a certain royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. He had a sick, very sick son. 47. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and he pleaded with him to come down and heal his son since he was about to die. Let me ask the parents in the room. If your kid was about to die, wouldn't you pray to the Lord, God, take me instead? All the moms nodded yes. That's how much you love your kid. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of this royal official and we'll talk about him in a second. His son is sick to the point of death. And he hears that Jesus is coming into the region, not even into the same city. We'll talk about that in a second. The same region And he runs, he tries to find him, tries to find healing for his son so he doesn't die. You parents, you would do anything for your kids. I believe that. You love your kids. That was the heart of this man. He pleads with the Lord to heal him because he was about to die, 48. Jesus told him, and as you're going to continue to see in John, the Lord gives some very strange answers to people. Like this one. Jesus told him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. This man's begging him, Lord, save my son. And what does he say? You need a miracle to believe in me? Not the answer we would expect from Jesus. Let's continue, 49. Sir, said the official, come down before my boy dies. And what does Jesus say? He has mercy on him. Go. Jesus told him, your son will live. This man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. He left. He left. So we see a few things here for you note-takers. Number one, we see a father in desperation. We see this royal official. He would have worked for King Herod, this evil king ruling over Israel at the time. This royal official would have had all kinds of earthly means, wealth, money, connections to the best doctors at the time. But he had one thing that he, he, nobody could give him, and that was the healing of his almost dying son. This was impossible and the good news is we serve a God of the impossible. There's no impossible with our God. So we see a father in desperation. Number two, we see a far away city. And to those of you who studied English literature, you're gonna notice a lot of alliteration. You're welcome. This is for me, this is pleasing you're gonna notice this. A far away city. Capernaum, the city where this boy was over here dying, was about sixteen miles away from where Jesus was in Galilee. What does this mean? This father rode on a horse, on a camel, ran if he needed to 16 miles over very hard terrain, over very uh, desert areas to go meet Jesus. 16 miles away in Capernaum. We see this as well. A frail son. A boy with terminal illness. Let me paint a picture for you. Our brother Sam... He's not here with us He's going to another church Praise God for him and his family Our brother Sam Was a frail son Working at the gym Working out at the gym Wasn't feeling very well Passed out Turns out he had an aneurysm He had a stroke He had bleeding in his brain They had to rush him to the hospital Put him in an ICU Not even the adult ICU They put him in the NICU Like the little kids ICU Because he was still a young man They just had him there Kept doing surgeries on him, kept opening up his brain, trying to put the stints in there to make the blood flow and not bleed. And the whole time, uh, this is where I feel I really became a pastor. Anyone can preach. Well, no, let me correct that. Not anyone can preach. Not everybody should preach. But anybody can put some verses together and then share them with you. But I feel like I became a pastor in the middle of this crisis that Sammy's family was going through. I got to meet his mom. I got to meet his dad, sister. And just doing life with them, sitting there in the hospital, just, well, what's going on? How's he doing today? What have, they, what have the doctors said? What are, what are they going to do now? Shepherding, talking with them. Her, his mom would not sleep for days. Huge black bags under her eyes. Sammy was a frail son. And one of the things the mom would say was, like, Why? I don't have an answer. How could we have avoided this? I don't think you could have. None of us really know. When is God going to heal my son? I don't have an answer for that either. A frail son. He had a terminal illness. He probably had the best health care, but even that wasn't enough. Number four in this passage, we see a faithless people. And here's what Jesus does. When this man pleads with him and begs him, please heal my son, Jesus turns to him And probably in a very loud voice so everybody could hear him, he says, unless you people see a sign, you won't believe. He was not pushing this man away at all. As we see in the end, he heals the the boy. He was making a declaration. You people are faithless because you're always chasing miracles. You're always chasing signs. You're always chasing a new movement of God. And if you don't see that, you won't believe me? Again, may we not chase God for the miracles. May we know God as our Father. We saw a faithless people. They just would not believe, even though they had already seen another miracle before, water to wine. And number five, we see this in this passage. We see a faithful Savior. Despite their unbelief, and even though He had no obligation to heal anybody, Jesus has compassion on this man. This man had faith. It takes faith to leave your son dying there. I know your parents, if your kid is sick, you're not going to leave him by themselves, right? You want to be there with them. This man had faith. There's a guy named Jesus coming. He does miracles. I'm going to run to him. I'm going to get on a horse and ride 16 miles in the burning heat. He had a simple faith. He said, I just want a miracle. I don't know if he's the son of God. I don't know if he's this Messiah. He didn't quite understand that, but he knew this man could heal. So Jesus was faithful. And you know how Jesus healed well? Let's look there in verse 50. What does he say? Go, Jesus told him. Your son will live. The man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. You know how God saves people? When he says something and you believe it. And not only believe it, when you obey it. See, it's not enough to know and believe about God. You need to obey God. And that's the part a lot of people get stuck on. My faith is not growing. Probably your obedience is not growing. Well, it's because I, I read the book, Manning. I studied it. I do it every day. I'm not growing in my faith. Are you obeying what you're reading? The Bible says may, that we should not only uh, read and hear the word of God and deceive ourselves, but we should do what it says. This man had faith. And he also had obedience. How do we know that? Because when Jesus said go, what did he do? He departed. He left. He could have stayed there another three hours begging at Jesus' feet, please heal my son. But no, he said go, so I will go. And he went. What a faithful Savior. Let's pause here and think about these three things. Disease, death, decay. My friends, although we've come to say this here in the world of death is normal, it's just a part of life. I would fight against that. Death is not normal. Death is not normal. It was not part of God's creation in the beginning. Death came in when Satan tempted our parents, Adam and Eve. They obeyed, they brought death into the world. But it was never part of the intended order of things. Death is not normal. That's why we, this is how we deal with death. We try to move on really quickly. Let's get the body, let's dress up the body, let's bury the body and move on. And in three, four days, A person you did life with, you never see them again. But death is not normal. It's a curse, number two. What can we learn about this? Suffering shows us our humanity. When you're on top of the world, when you have money, friends, all the things you want, even a lust and all these things, you feel like you don't need God. You feel like you're invincible. I felt invincible until I was 18 And then I hit rock bottom and wanted to kill myself. I felt invincible. Nobody could stop me. But suffering shows us our humanity, our weakness. It shows us that we are frail, helpless. We truly are finite beings that God decides when we live and breathe and die. What else can we learn from this? That our only hope is Jesus. Our only hope for death is Jesus. Our only hope for disease, for decay, is Jesus. So when we suffer, we should let our suffering bring us to Christ, not separate us from God. A lot of people take the wrong approach and they say, I'm suffering, it's your fault, and they blame God. The Bible tells us that God does no evil. There's no shadow of evil within God. God has never done evil to you, my friend. God is only good. We have an enemy. His name is Satan. He does evil. So don't blame God for something that Satan did. But remember this, God uses even what's evil, he uses it for good. When Sammy was put under and when he woke up, when he fell asleep, so to speak, his family were not Christians. When he woke up, his family were Christians. They came to believe through what was going on. And they say to themselves, can't believe this is what it took for us to believe in God. Our only hope is Jesus. And lastly, on this, our story can help others in their suffering. Let me ask you this and highlight it in your own mind. What are you suffering right now? Some of you have suffered the loss of a child, some of you have suffered the end of a marriage or a relationship. Some of you have suffered the betrayal of your friends, those that you thought loved you and cared for you. Some of you have suffered abandonment. God can redeem that. God can redeem that. The cross of Jesus shows us that God knows suffering, He got involved in suffering, and He can redeem suffering. So what are you suffering? And how can God use your story to now help other people. Someone who's never lost a child, it's very hard for them to then give advice to someone who's currently losing a child. But they can help now. It's someone who has lost a child. We don't wish that. We don't want that. We pray for healing. But if it comes, let God use your story to help other people. That's why I'm not afraid now to say I wanted to commit suicide because that was my past. And God used that and now I can show people, hey, you, there's life after this. There is hope after this. And I found my hope in Christ. Read this with me. 2 Corinthians 1. We'll take turns in the verses, but look at this uh, wonderful passage. 2 Corinthians 1, through 3-7. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of what? All comfort. for." You see, when you suffer and God comforts you, now you can tell people, this is how God comforted me. Five. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. Meaning there's going to be times where God allows you to go through some suffering. But with that suffering, God will also give comfort to you. Six. That's another thing suffering does. It helps you to endure a little more next time. We call these uh, calluses, you know, when those of you who go to the gym and lift weights, after a while you don't feel that pain anymore. You become a little callous. It's a little hard. And sometimes suffering does that to us. It makes us it a little hard for next time. It doesn't hurt as much. Let's finish up that passage there, verse 7, all together. And our hope for you is firm. Because we know that as you share in the sufferings, so you will also share in the comfort. I tell people this, and sometimes they look at me a little weird. When is the last time that you just broke down and cried, literally? Cried to God. A lot of us avoid it, try to never shed a tear. Men don't cry. Jesus cried, the perfect man, God man. There's times where we need to weep, the Bible says. In our brokenness, God will lift us up. Maybe right, that's why you're a little hard-hearted lately because you haven't let yourself get to that point. Get there and you'll meet God there. Let's continue with the story here. So Jesus tells the man, go back home, your boy is healed. And let's see the conclusion to this story and then we'll prepare to take of the Lord's Supper. John four fifty-one through 54, it says this, while this man was still going down, His servants met him, saying that his boy was alive. He asked them at what time he got better. Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him, they answered. The father realized that this was the very hour at which Jesus had told him, Your son will live. So he himself believed, along with his whole household. Now this was also the second sign Jesus performed after he came from Judea to Galilee. We see four things in this passage. Number one, we see a fatigued father, a very tired man. It says Jesus had told him to go. By the time he's almost close to his hometown, it was already the next day. So what does that tell us? I checked the Google Maps. <laughs> That's kind of my source for right now. If you were to walk from Capernaum, where that city was, where the boy was sick, to Cana, where Jesus was, it takes about eight hours walking. Okay, On a car, it's about two and a half hours. So let's just say he walked Eight hours of walking. After 1 p.m., he would have got there at 9. So he probably didn't walk the whole eight hours. Probably stayed in a hotel somewhere, rested, and then continued the next day. What does that tell us? This man had faith. Because if you're a parent, you're going to make that effort. You're going to walk those eight eight hours. You're going to just get there that night. He probably didn't do that. He probably stayed over and slept somewhere, rested, trusting. Jesus said he's healed. He's going to be healed. Probably rested because then the servants come and they say, Yesterday the boy was healed. We see this tired, tired man. He probably would have left his city at 5 in the morning, gotten to Jesus at about 1 p.m. Very tired. Number two, we see in this passage cheerful communication. The servants cheerfully communicated to the Father, The boy is alive. Rejoice. He's not dead. Terminally ill. Now he's perfectly fine. He's waiting for you. He wants to go to McDonald's. This boy's hungry. Take care of this son. He's alive. Cheerful communication. We see these good news that Jesus answered their prayer exactly as he said he would. We see number three, powerful precision. When Jesus said your boy is healed, he was healed. And I like to combat a little bit against the fake miracles things. So, this was not pulling your leg. This was not, you know, Jesus will heal you eventually. This was immediate precision. He's healed. He's healed. Number three, we, uh, number four, we see this absolute acceptance. What does that mean? At first, it was this, just this man believing. All his family stayed home. He goes, he gets what the Lord. Told him, he was going to do, and the Bible tells us there in verse 7 uh, sorry, in verse 53 and 54, it says, uh, He realized this was the very hour that Jesus told him, Your son will live. So he himself believed along with his whole household absolute acceptance. All the family accepted Jesus, they all believed in Jesus, not only as a miracle worker now, but as his claims were, the Messiah, the Son of God. They all believed. It started with a come and see ministry. Remember we talked about that a few weeks ago. Hey, come see the miracles. And it turned into real solid faith. I want that for you. I don't want you to just be a person again that I'm here for the stuff that they can give me at church. I want you to be a person who truly has faith in God for salvation. Because we can feed you, we can clothe you, we can give you money. But if your soul doesn't belong to Jesus, my friend, you're going to hell. That's my concern for you. God can only take care of what's inside. We can take care of the outside, but that's like dressing a corpse unless God puts a new life in you. So let's talk about that physical healing. Any of you have any sicknesses, any diseases, any brokenness literally physically in your body that you wish God could fix? I shared this with you. This arm of mine was broken when I was five. We were very poor and Matamoros didn't have money to fix it, so it just kind of healed the wrong way, so it's kind of crooked. I'm always praying like, Lord, when it's time, I want a new body. Give me a new arm. I don't like this thing. That's one of my excuses to not go to the gym, right? (laughs) Oh, I can't, I can't, I can't. Excuses. But let's talk about physical healing. God is sovereign over physical healing. He decides who He will heal and who He will not heal. Remember in the Bible, Paul It says he had a thorn in the flesh. We already talked about what that is. But he prays, God, take it away. Take it away. Please heal me. Take this away. And the Lord answers, no, my grace is enough for you. I'm going to let you suffer so you don't get proud on me. And when you suffer, you run to me. But I'm not going to take it away. So God is sovereign over healing. For all those folks who command healing and demand healing and declare healing, we don't have that power. God is sovereign. He gives healing. Number two, God used healing in the Bible to validate His authority. It wasn't to say, if you're a Christian, you must be healed. It was, this is the people who are preaching. They can do miracles in this time. He validated His authority. Only God does those kinds of miracles. Number three, regarding physical healing, God commands us to pray for it. Sometimes the mistake that we make as Baptists or Reformed or whatever category is we don't like all this false healing stuff, so we swing to the other opposite of never praying for healing. Oh, if God is sovereign, if He wants, we should pray for it. The Bible commands us to pray for it. Let's go to James 5 there, 13 through 15 for your notes, and we have it up here for you. Look at what it says. Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And it's not the oil that heals. Look at what it says in verse 15. The prayer of faith will save the sick person. He's telling us, pray for the sick. Let's not be as Baptists and Reformed. Let's not be just, oh, well, a ver que Dios quiere. It says we should fervently pray for those who are sick. God might have mercy on them. And the Lord will raise them up. And if he has committed sins, he will be Forgiven. Some people would get sick because they were living in sin. So God would let them get sick to realize, hey, you need to repent. And when God would heal them, they would say, okay, I'm forgiven. Praise God, I'm not going to do that anymore. Lastly on this, number four on physical healing, God will eternally give us healing in the kingdom. Some of your diseases will never get healed in this life. You need to understand that. You might never see healing of that in this life. But in the kingdom, if you belong to Jesus, you will receive healing eternally. You'll never get sick again. That's what's coming in the kingdom in the future. And it's a promise for God's people, not for everybody else, only for God's people. Let's see the other side of the coin on this. Physical healing. Now let's talk about spiritual healing. Because you, my friend, give you some... Anthropology here, you are made of matter and spirit. You are body and soul. One day your body will go to the ground, will be buried, will die. Your soul will continue to live on afterwards. And that's where it'll go to be with Jesus in paradise or apart from Jesus in hell. Only one of two places. I didn't make this up. Jesus said it himself. So what do we know about spiritual healing? God is sovereign over it. He chooses who he will save. Number two, spiritual healing in God's mind is more important than physical healing. God cares so much more about your soul than He does about answering your quick prayer of healing here in the body. You're going to die anyways. You're just prolonging the death. So God cares more about your spiritual healing because your soul is going to live forever. Number three, spiritual healing was provided for on the cross and this is the last point of the day on the cross God provided spiritual healing for you where Jesus died to heal your soul and then he rose to save your soul you see God really cares about your soul how do we know this we'll close with this go to Isaiah 53 in your Bible and in your notes Let's wrap up this story first. Praise God, the boy was healed, the family believed, and they probably went on and told their friends and brought their friends to Jesus eventually. And that was, the Bible says, the second sign that he did. They still didn't believe, some people didn't. But let's see over here now. Jesus provided spiritual healing for you on the cross. Isaiah 53, 3-5. This is what it says about Jesus hundreds of years before he even came into the world. As a human, this is what it says. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we did not value him. When Jesus was being crucified, people turned their back on him. They didn't like to see that. They thought that was disgusting. A bloodied, beaten up man on a cross. For, yet he himself carried or bore our sicknesses he carried our pain but we in turn regarded him stricken struck down by god when people saw jesus they said yeah he deserves to be up there he's being punished by god that wasn't true 5 but he was pierced for our transgressions our rebellions he was crushed for our iniquities jesus literally had nails through his hands wrists through his feet they, they drove a spear through his side. Literally, he was pierced. And he was crushed. Literally, when he was carrying up his cross up the mountain to go be crucified, it says he fell and he could not carry it. He literally was crushed. And it happened, it says there, for our pain, for our rebellion, for our sin. Punishment for our peace was on him. And what does that last phrase say there? We are healed by his wounds. What this is not saying is that if you're a Christian, automatically you get healed physically. He's talking about spiritual healing. Because God punished Him, instead of punishing you, you can be healed, set free. God does not have to punish you eternally anymore. He already punished Jesus. But you need to have faith in Him. You will face God one day. My question is, will that be as judge? Or will that be as father? That decision is made today here on earth. While you have breath in your lungs, when you die, it'll be too late. So as Jesus healed this boy that was dying, God wants to heal you spiritually today because as you are, if you don't love Jesus, you're dead in your sins. He wants to save you today. So hear the good words of our good Lord who says, go, the son will live. He says to you the same thing. Go, you will live. Have faith in me. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this passage. We know that it's more than just ink on paper. We believe that this was true. This actually literally happened in the land of Israel 2,000 years ago. And even though it's been 2,000 years, you still do the same thing. You still heal those that look for you. But this healing, Lord, we know is spiritual. One day it'll be physical. I pray, Father, for our friends who are here today that they would have an encounter with you, that they would see you not just as a gift giver or as a miracle worker, but they would see you as a mighty God, as Savior of mankind, as the only one who can take away the punishment of God and instead give eternal life because He already took it on His own body, that punishment that was supposed to be for us. Thank you, Jesus, for giving of yourself. We don't need more miracles. We believe you are the Son of God. Please forgive us for those times that we've been faithless or when we doubt your goodness. Please forgive us for the times, Lord, that we take you for granted and that we just take advantage of your grace thinking that you'll just forgive us anyways. Help us to not only learn but obey your words because they are words of life for our benefit, for our good. I'm going to give everyone a moment to pray in silence, in privacy, with your head bowed, your eyes closed, and out of respect to the person next to you, there in silence. This is a time for you to speak to the Lord.